0: Chapter eighty one, part thirteen of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two, by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part thirteen. While I was busy one day dressing in my dining room, I found his lordship at my elbow before I was aware of his approach, although his coach was at the door. "'and the house already in the possession of his servants. "'He accosted me in the usual style, "'as if we had parted the night before, "'and I answered him with an appearance "'of the same careless familiarity, "'desiring him to sit down while I retreated to my chamber, "'locked the door, and fairly went to bed, "'being, perhaps, the first woman "'who went thither for protection from the insults of a man. "'Here, then, I immured myself with my faithful Abigail.' My lord, finding me secured, knocked at the door, and through the keyhole begged to be admitted, assuring me that all he wanted was a conference. I desired to be excused, though I believed his assurance, but I had no inclination to converse with him because I knew from experience the nature of his conversation, which was so disagreeable and tormenting, that I would have exchanged it at any time for a good beating, and thought myself a gainer by the bargain however he persisted in his importunities to such a degree that i assented to his proposal on condition that the duke of L should be present at the interview and he immediately sent a message for his grace while i and peace ate my breakfast conveyed in a basket which was hoisted up to the window of my bedchamber. the duke was so kind as to come at my lord's request and before i would open the door gave me his word that i should be protected from all violence and compulsion thus assured they were permitted to enter my little gentleman sitting down by my bedside began to repeat the old hackneyed arguments he had formerly used with a view of inducing me to live with him and i on my side repeated my former objections or pretended to listen to his representations while my imagination was employed in contriving the means of effecting an escape, as the Duke easily perceived by my countenance. Finding all his remonstrances ineffectual, he quitted the chamber, and left his cause to the eloquence of his grace, who sat with me a whole half-hour without exerting himself much in behalf of his client, because he knew I was altogether obstinate and determined on that score but joked upon the behaviour of his lordship who though jealous of most people had left him alone with me in my bedchamber, observing that he must neither have great confidence in his virtue or a very bad opinion of him otherwise in short i found the means to defer the categorical answer till next day and invited the duke and his lordship to dine with me to-morrow my wise yoke fellow seemed to doubt the sincerity of this invitation and was very much disposed to keep possession of my house. But, by the persuasion of his grace and the advice of H., who was his chief counsellor and back, he was prevailed upon to take my word, and for the present left me. They were no sooner retired than I rose with great expedition, packed up my clothes, and took shelter in Essex for the first time. Next day my lord and his noble friend came to dinner according to appointment, and being informed of my escape by my woman whom i left in the house his lordship discovered some signs of discontent and insisted upon seeing my papers upon which my maid produced a parcel of bills which i owed to different people notwithstanding this disappointment he sat down to what was provided for dinner and with great deliberation ate up a leg of lamb the best part of a fowl and something else which i do not now remember and then very peaceably went away giving my maid an opportunity of following me to the place of my retreat my intention was to have sought refuge as formerly in another country but i was prevented from putting my design in execution by a fit of illness during which i was visited by my physician and some of my own relations particularly a distant cousin of mine Whom my lord had engaged in his interests by promising to recompense her amply if she could persuade me to comply with his desire in this office she was assisted by the doctor who was my friend and a man of sense for whom i have the most perfect esteem though he and i have often differed in point of opinion in a word i was exposed to the incessant importunities of all my acquaintance which added to the desperate circumstances of my fortune compelled me to embrace the terms that were offered and i again returned to the domestic duties of a wife i was conducted to my lord's house by an old friend of mine a gentleman turned of fifty of admirable parts and understanding he was a pleasing companion cheerful and humane and had acquired a great share of my esteem and respect in a word, his advice had great weight in my deliberations, because it seemed to be the result of experience and disinterested friendship. Without all doubt he had an unfeigned concern for my welfare, but being an admirable politician, his scheme was to make my interests coincide with his own inclinations, for I had unwittingly made an innovation upon his heart, and as he thought I should hardly favour his passion while I was at liberty to converse with the rest of my admirers, he counselled me to surrender that freedom, well knowing that my lord would be easily persuaded to banish all his rivals from the house, in which case he did not doubt of his being able to insinuate himself into my affections, because he laid it down as an eternal truth that, if any two persons of different sexes were obliged to live together in a desert, where they would be excluded from all other human intercourse, they would naturally and inevitably contract an inclination for each other. How just this hypothesis might be, I leave to the determination of the curious, though, if I may be allowed to judge from my own disposition, a couple so situated would be apt to imbibe mutual disgust from the nature and necessity of their union, unless their association was at first the effect of reciprocal affection and esteem. BE THIS AS IT WILL, I HONOR THE GENTLEMAN FOR HIS PLAN, WHICH WAS INGENIOUSLY CONTRIVED AND ARTFULLY CONDUCTED, BUT I HAPPENED TO HAVE TOO MUCH ADDRESS FOR HIM IN THE SEQUEL, CUNNING AS HE WAS, THOUGH AT FIRST I DID NOT PERCEIVE HIS DRIFT, AND HIS LORDSHIP WAS MUCH LESS LIKELY TO COMPREHEND HIS MEANING. IMMEDIATELY AFTER THIS NEW ACCOMMODATION, I WAS CARRIED TO A COUNTRY HOUSE BELONGING TO MY LORD and was simple enough to venture myself, unattended by any servant on whose integrity I could depend, in the hands of his lordship and H., whose villainy I always dreaded. Though at this time my apprehensions were considerably increased by recollecting that it was not his interest to let me live in the house, lest his conduct should be inquired into, and by remembering that the very house to which we were going had been twice burnt down in a very short space of time, not without suspicion of his having been the incendiary, on account of some box of writings which was lost in the conflagration. True it is, this imputation was never made good, and perhaps he was altogether innocent of the charge, which nevertheless affected my spirits in such a manner as rendered me the most miserable of all mortals. In this terror did I remain, till my consternation was awakened by the arrival of Mr. B., a good-natured worthy man whom my lord had invited to his house and i thought would not see me ill-used in a few weeks we were joined by dr s and his lady who visited us according to their promise and it was resolved that we should set out for tunbridge on a party of pleasure and at our return examine h s accounts this last part of our scheme was not at all relished by our worthy steward who therefore determined to overturn our whole plan and succeeded accordingly my lord all of a sudden declared himself against the jaunt we had projected, and insisted upon my staying at home without assigning any reason for the peremptory behaviour. His countenance being cloudy, and for the space of three days he did not open his mouth. At last he one night entered my bedchamber, to which he now had free access, with his sword under his arm, and, if I remember aright, it was ready drawn— I could not help taking notice of this alarming circumstance which shocked me the more as it happened immediately after a gloomy fit of discontent. However, I seemed to overlook the incident, and dismissing my maid went to bed, because I was ashamed to acknowledge, even in my own heart, any dread of a person whom I despised so much. However, the strength of my constitution was not equal to the fortitude of my mind. I was taken ill, and the servants were obliged to be called up, while my lord himself, terrified at my situation, ran upstairs to Mrs. S., who was in bed, told her with evident perturbation of spirits that I was very much indisposed, and said he believed I was frightened by his entering my chamber with a sword in his hand. This lady was so startled at his information that she ran into my apartment half-naked, and as she went downstairs asked what reason could induce him to have carried his sword with him upon which he gave her to understand that his intention was to kill the bats i believe and hope that he had no other design than that of intimidating me but when the affair happened i was of a different opinion mrs s having put on her clothes sat up all night by my bedside, and was so good as to assure me that she would not leave me until I should be safely delivered from the apprehensions that surrounded me in this house, to which she and the doctor had been the principal cause of my coming. For my lord had haunted and importuned them incessantly on this subject, protesting that he loved me with the most inviolable affection, and all he desired was that I would sit at his table, manage his family, and share his fortune by these professions uttered with an air of honesty and good nature, he had imposed himself upon them for the best-tempered creature on earth, and they used all their influence with me to take him into favour. This has been the case with a great many people who had but a superficial knowledge of his disposition, but in the course of their acquaintance they have never failed to discern and acknowledge their mistake. The doctor, on his return from Tunbridge, to which place he had made a trip by himself, found me ill abed, and the whole family in confusion. Surprised and concerned at this disorder, he entered into expostulation with my lord, who owned that the cause of his displeasure and disquiet was no other than jealousy. He had informed him that I had been seen to walk out with Mr. Bow in the morning, and that our correspondence had been observed, with many additional circumstances which were absolutely false and groundless. This imputation was no sooner understood than it was resolved that the accuser should be examined in presence of us all. He accordingly appeared exceedingly drunk though it was morning, and repeated the articles of the charge as an information he had received from a man who came from town to hang the bells, and was long ago returned to London." this was an instance of his cunning and address which did not forsake him even in his hours of intoxication had he fixed the calumny on any one of his servants he would have been confronted and detected in his falsehood nevertheless though he could not be legally convicted it plainly appeared that he was the author of this defamation which incensed mr Bow to such a degree that he could scarce be withheld from punishing him on the spot by manual chastisement However, he was prevailed upon to abstain from such immediate vengeance, as a step unworthy of his character, and the affair was brought to this issue, that his lordship should either part with me or Mr. H., for I was fully determined against living under the same roof with such an incendiary. This alternative being proposed, my lord dismissed his steward, and we returned to town with the doctor and Mrs. S., for I had imbibed such horror and aversion for this country seat, though one of the pleasantest in England, that I could not bear to live in it. We therefore removed to a house in Bond Street, where, according to the advice of my friends, I exerted my whole power and complacence in endeavours to keep my husband in good humour, but was so unsuccessful in my attempts, that if ever he was worse tempered, more capricious, or intolerable at one time than at another— this was a season in which his ill-humour predominated in the most rancorous degree i was scarce ever permitted to stir abroad saw nobody at home but my old male friend whom i have mentioned above and the doctor with his lady from whose conversation also i was at last excluded nevertheless i contrived to steal a meeting now and then with my late benefactor for whom i entertained a great share of affection exclusive of that gratitude that was due to his generosity it was not his fault that i compromised matters with my lord for he was as free of his purse as i was unwilling to use it it would therefore have been unfriendly unkind and ungrateful in me now that i was in affluence to avoid all intercourse with a man who had supported me in adversity I think people cannot be too shy and scrupulous in receiving favours, but once they are conferred they ought never to forget the obligation, and I was never more concerned at any incident of my life than at hearing that this gentleman did not receive a letter, in which I acknowledged the last proof of his friendship and liberality which I had occasion to use, because I have since learned that he suspected me of neglect. End of chapter 81, part 13